silence your cell phones now. What is good? Welcome back to the Pop-Off Podcast. Shout out to all the popper authors. I'm sorry that I've been gone for so long, but we're back in this bitch and we're talking about The Last of Us, Season 1, Episode 3. I'm your host, Ralph Compiano, and I'm not joined by The Martian today. He is um, in a UFO, blowing big bags um, with some zombies, so instead I'm replaced by my favorite zombie in the world, Nick Bordenero, a.k.a. Bordy B, a.k.a. Gorky D. What is poppin'? It's a privilege to stand in for the Martian. You know, I, I pride myself on being a survivalist. So this shows mm-hmm. right up my alley, even though I never played the game. So if you are not familiar yet, you should be. I don't know why you'd be listening to this episode, but The Last of Us is HBO Max's newest flagship show about the apocalypse. And I don't know about you, but I was impressed with the first two episodes. I liked the first two episodes, but the third episode from all the discourse on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the critics who got to see it early said, just stick around for the third episode. And then once you get there, you can determine whether or not you're going to watch the rest of this show. And I was going to watch it regardless because of the pod, because all of those kinds of things, just to be in the know because I'm a completist, whatever it is. But I could not be more in on this show after the third episode. Was this your favorite episode yet? Yeah, definitely. It was the most well-rounded episode i feel like the first two are kind of an intro to this apocalypse world and i'd say the three or four main characters that we've worked with so far just kind of been on their journey so it was nice to step out of that zone a little bit and see how the rest of the world is surviving out there in the apocalypse so the technical term that they refer to this kind of episode to is a bottle episode so there's been bottle episodes and Mad Men, Breaking Bad, really all of the best shows. Like if you think of um, The Sopranos, um, Pine Barrens is kind of a bottle episode where Chrissy and Paul are in the woods. And it's kind of an episode that's really just concentrated on those two. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with the rest of the season as a whole as far as the overall storyline is concerned. But the themes are the most pertinent in a bottle episode because it's essentially like a short movie. And so my main concern with this show was that it was going to be like The Walking Dead where I think The Walking Dead served a purpose for the first couple of seasons, and then it got kind of tired because the only thing that they were concerned with was how do we kill a zombie better? And that's not the most interesting thing in the world to me. Those zombies were weak as shit, too. Those zombies were trash. And and it's also like, how do you cure a virus? Like That's not the biggest concern to me. Like I think instead of the show being about how to kill zombies or how to cure a virus, it's about not just surviving, but like living in the apocalypse. And I think this episode did a great job of that. It's like, this is what it would be like if you were actually alone and you were a hoarder slash, what, what's the actual term for what Nick Offerman's character? Survivalist. Bill? Doomsday, survivalist. Prep. Doomsday prepper. Doomsday prepper. prepper yes, yeah. a doomsday prepper. Like what that life would actually be like. And he seems pretty happy and in solace. Oh, he's um, so happy when he looks at the city camera at town hall. And sees that everybody's right. evacuating. He gets that smile on his face. He's yep. been waiting for that day his entire life. Right. And he thinks that's what he wants. And I think that is what he wants. Like, you know, he's tending to his chickens. He has flowers. He's cooking filet mignon for himself. Just delicious meal after delicious meal. But he doesn't really know what he's missing. And Murray Bartlett's character, Frank, comes along. I'm curious. I haven't really heard anybody actually talk about this yet. Were you under the impression that he was going to fuck him over? Because I was very nervous about Frank. I didn't really trust him at first. Did you trust him to be 
a companion and somebody that could live with Bill, or are you like, oh, this guy's going to punk him. He's got nine other guys that are coming behind, and he's just kind of the, the first trap. I mean, obviously your first thought, and I think this was Bill's first thought too, is this guy's going to see my sick-ass pad and try to take it from me or something. Yep. Or maybe like a group sent him in first to like see what's going on in there. So you're obviously cautious of people in this world that they're in. But uh, no, I didn't have too many suspicions of him. But I didn't think it was going to be a whole episode type of thing between the two of them. So I was nervous about him all the way up until the piano sequence. And then even... So let's let's just break it down kind of beat by beat because when, when you saw I mean, him like getting all the things he had and like he didn't yeah he, when he's he wasn't like coveting that in an evil way he was like this is amazing right and I think one of my favorite moments of the episode actually is just like when he gets the meal served to him and he's probably been scrapping for food for the last three years I think they're three years into the apocalypse at this point he's probably had to fight for every last meal he's probably eating squirrels. And just like hoarding all this like really ratchet shit, like you know six month old Twinkies stuff like that, and then he gets served this this rabbit meal. Have you ever had rabbit? I thought it was duck, but no, I have not. I, th- had rabbit. I think You're- it was it was like he was like who knew to pair this wine with this rabbit? And when um, Bill serves him the plate, he doesn't just like drop it on the table or anything like that. He sets it down on the table and then he turns it too, so that way it's perfectly pointed towards him and he can like appreciate the actual like design of the meal and i just think like it's those little details where it's like that's what love is and i thought i thought that was the most impressive part of the show to me it's like this feels so lived in like most tv shows and streaming services like netflix or hulu would take this episode and they'd shoot it in a week something like that maybe a week probably like four or five days actually it feels like it took them not 20 years to make this episode but it feels like it took them like three or four months just like make this episode alone did you kind of get that same vibe from like a, I don't know, a lived in feeling of the episode? Yeah, they definitely they had to build that city as a set and make it realistic because mm-hmm. that's like his home, his compound. And that progresses over what they cover about 20 years that he's there from the start of the apocalypse to 2023. Yep, 2003 to 2023. And so, yeah, I mean... I could have lived there. If that was your question, I didn't really. All right, I want you to meditate on this. If you had to pick one member of the Pop-Off Podcast roster to be your Bill or your Frank for this kind of situation, you can't say me because that's pandering, who would it be? You don't have to answer it right now, but it's just something I want to return to at some point. Um, but as far as the episode itself is concerned, so Frank starts to the trust answer, Bill. The answer is Hado. Hado, if you're wondering. Okay. Well, Hado is actually not a part of the Pop-Off Pod roster. Yeah, he, he refuses to pod. No, he refuses to pod. He retired from potting. He's like the Tyler Huntley of the Pro Bowl. <laughs> he's he's, he's on the roster. Okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, they they actually have a nice dinner together. They play the piano, and Bill says to him, he's or Frank says to Bill, you know who, who's the song about for you? Like, what girl does the song remind you of? And he tells them, there is no girl. And he's like, I fucking knew it, you gay bastard. I could see it in your eyes the moment that you decided to let me live. Well, he, no, he noticed if, there was no dust on the Linda Rothschild right, fucking right. What, playbooks. Is that what those things are called? I think we could call it a playbook, yeah, the, the little note sheet. Yeah. And, yeah, from there on, it's like, all right, we're, we're in for it. He's getting out of the shower, and they get their fuck on. 
And then we fast forward three years. He tells him in bed, actually, he's like, I, I don't, I want you to know I'm not a whore. I'm not yeah, just going to fuck you for a lunch. One night, one night thing. <laughs> I'm sticking around. And I just loved that. That was just like such a, there was moments of this episode that were so dark, but like the levity that they provided with the humor was also like very well-timed. And I think that's where this show was like really thriving. It's like, this is a fucking dark show, but they've been able to interject some humor into it. That's just like, it makes it a little bit less serious. And that's all that I really need. I need, I don't want the apocalypse to be so fucking damning all the time. It's already a depressing enough concept. I need something to kind of give me a lift. And I think this episode, ultimately we could talk about the ending and all of that kind of stuff, but this episode was just a huge lift for me. It's like, okay, we can actually find beauty in this kind of thing. Whereas in the first two episodes, it's, oh, these zombies are really fucking creepy. These clickers, and I don't really like Joel that much. He kind of seems closed off. I'm not the biggest fan of, I think it's Ellie. Um, I guess Tess was fine. But, I mean, the main characters that we're going to be with for the rest of the se- like season, I don't love either of them. But I fell in love with both of these guys in only 65 minutes of TV. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Joel's partner, Beth. Mm-hmm. He got tongued by that zombie. That was disgusting. But, Tess? Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be sad to see uh, Bill and Frank go, but uh, it was a nice little sunshine in the middle of this apocalypse, you know? A love story. Even some gay dudes can find love in the apocalypse. Would you return to this episode? Is this something that you would rewatch or like show somebody as like a selling point for the TV show itself? Yeah, I'd definitely rewatch this episode. I mean, it's uncomfortable for... It was uncomfortable for the first little bit i got through it obviously just because it was such a great story and you know love of your life gets caught in your hole mm-hmm. that's all you can so have. I, actually, I did want to talk about that too because i think that was so so i mean their first meeting i keep returning to it because i think that was like i was that was the most when i was most unsettled throughout the episode i'm like all right what is this like what are they doing and you know it's been three years he's been tending to his garden tending to his compound and he loves his life the first tell and that he, he was gay he had a sea shed in his backyard <laughs> he had a little greenhouse they well, you think that, greenhouses like, are automatically gay you're yeah, like oh like that, if I that's it the episode there'll be a bunch of giveaways i just saw like the wall of guns and i was like oh this is the straightest dude ever or maybe he's asexual and he just like is in love with fucking ar-15s and that's it um, but no, he's like uh, approaching the hole and he assumes that it's a zombie because that's the only thing that he's had any contact with, um, through like the cameras and his traps and all that kind of stuff, which were absolutely fucking elite. Like the traps that he had, the first tripwire that we see where the zombie just literally gets shot in the temple so tight. Um, but like just hearing the voice, that's all it took to shock him. It's like, that's the first voice that he's heard in three years. And I mean, he's probably not listening to any podcasts. I think he's just re-listening to like his like vinyls and things like that. And I just thought that was such like, it's just those little things about this episode that are, I don't know. I mean, I think this immediately goes into like whatever hall of fame of TV episodes that I've seen like right away. And I, I'm, I typically try not to be hyperbolic about these kinds of things, but I can't imagine there being an episode this season that's going to be better than what we just saw. Like, I, I don't know. And is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I think that's this is one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen, like point blank period. But um, yeah, I don't I think just, it's going to slow so down. Or I think it's going to keep going, gain momentum because uh, there's a lot of characters. I haven't played the game, but I've been watching like a little bit of gameplay. 
past few mm-hmm. days I watched these episodes and noted this Bill and Frank love story is a complete turn from the game. Yep. You should mention that. And uh question for you real quick. It's kind of like a boardy conspiracy I thought of on the way home. Um, do you think Frank was just real lucky to pull up on a, another gay man's compound and get saved? Or do you think he might have been a straight guy that was just kind of rolling with the dice, you know? Like, got to oh, do what you got to do. Um, Like he learned to love him kind of thing? Or just That's a good question. He knew he had I would say up. I think – Anybody that knows that much about rabbit being able to be paired with that wine has to be gay. That's kind of my theory. Yeah, it's, I, I think they didn't intend it the way that I said, but it was just a little fan fan fiction. I know what you, I know what you mean though. Like he decided that I love this place so much that fuck it, I'll be gay for this. Like, like put you in at that same time. Put you in that hole, and <laughs> this big gay cuddly teddy bear is your only <laughs> lifeline out. You know what you got to do. I, I am not homophobic by any means, but I just don't think that I could get that way. Uh, it's just, it's just not me. And I'm pretty sure that Bill was the giver and Frank was the receiver, or the other way around. I keep confusing their names, and that means that I would have to be the receiver. And I just, I just don't think I'm, I'm capable of that. Honestly, I'm afraid of any contact with my butthole whatsoever. And if it was Nick Offerman and his hairy cock, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, I'd have to bail. So it sounds like you'd rather be Joel's partner kissing the zombie instead of Frank in the hole. Yeah, I'll <laughs> I'll take my chance with the zombies instead of getting butt plowed. Um, but no, I mean, I think that their chemistry was like, I mean, huh. if this could have been any two other actors, I don't know who I would have chosen because I think that this was like a perfect casting decision between these two with Murray and Offerman. And that's like another thing that HBO is just... They're just on another level, man. I mean, I was thinking about that while I was watching the episode. It was Netflix doesn't have the time for this. Hulu, Peacock. I just don't trust other services like I trust HBO. And I was nervous about this show because I was like, we already committed to reviewing every episode. I have to watch every episode. This is a time commitment. I only have so much time. And I just need to learn to trust HBO, I think. I mean, they rarely ever steer me wrong industry succession euphoria which i've grown to like more and more as i keep thinking about it and rewatching it um pretty much every single show that they put out in the sunday evening time slot has been a hit for me there's like maybe a couple like his dark materials wasn't really into i love station 11 but that was even a monday show and it just seems like they have the highest hit rate for that time slot of, of programming um but as far as the rest of the episode is concerned i think we have to talk about the the big thing here and that is um, the suicide, which was absolutely devastating. So let me ask you this. Were any tears shed while you were watching this episode? Did you tear up? Did you come close to tearing up? Or did you full-blown cry? No, none of that. I'm a pretty stone-hearted man. Okay, wow. Takes, well, then you're you're a cold-hearted prick. Yeah, it take, you fucking takes are. a lot to make this big grizzly bear cry. But uh, my What does make you cry? Have, have Do movies or TV shows ever have the chance of making you cry? No. I just got to get real drunk and then I just let it flow. Okay. I'm a drunk crier. Like that. Yeah. Like chicks at the bar. But, uh, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Well, yes. we get drunk pretty, like, we used to get drunk all the time together and you didn't cry once. Not that I'm aware yeah. of. I wasn't much of a heavy drinker back then. You got to kind of take it too far. But, uh, off subject oh, yeah. with my drinking. 
Where were we again? We were talking. I about- remember. I kind. Of, I kind of want to talk about your drinking tendencies now. <laughs> and and how, oh no, how much did you? You didn't cry during this episode at all. Oh no, but my favorite part of the double suicide was when he pours the two glasses of wine and like doesn't crush up the pills. And Frank's like, "You already put them in the bottle of wine, huh?" And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, "We're we're going out together, big daddy." Yeah, we're doing this together. It was um, it was the idea of. I have no purpose of living if you're not going to live with me. And I thought that was so beautiful because, I mean, I think they took care of each other in a lot of ways, but he was definitely the primary caretaker for the majority of the relationship after he was in the wheelchair. And I think that. God, getting such can- like getting a, cancer during a zombie apocalypse would be a real bitch, wouldn't it? Right. I mean, but they had full, fruitful lives, and I feel like they aged so quickly. That was one thing I was thinking of. It was how much older are they than Joel because they look around the same age when they initially meet in 2009 or whatever it is. Um, But then 14 years later, when we get to 2023, Joel still looks like Pedro Pascal. Like, he still looks like just a silver fox. And then these two dudes are just fucking – and they've been living the life. Like, they've been eating filet mignon, drinking wine. Like probably leaving, living in relative peace. Um, I guess we probably should talk about where Frank gets shot, um, because or I where Bill gets shot. Confusing. Where Bill gets shot. Um, that was a badass did, scene too. He's just out there with his deer rifle, just picking people off like they're animals. I wanted to nitpick that. Did he have to do that? No, is that something that he? Need? I thought that I thought the traps were going to get them. I play a lot of Call of Duty, and standing in the middle of the road with a sniper is not the move. Never works. He, he, at least get some cover, dude. Like, and I was also mad he didn't lock Frank in the room. That bothered me because obviously mm. he has no business being out there. I, well, couldn't he have just like theoretically like sniped from the window? Like he has to have like some kind of sniper tower. But instead, he went in the middle of the street where he was susceptible to getting shot. So I was thinking when that was happening, I was like, maybe he has a, a sort of a death wish, like. This is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for somebody to try to fuck with me. And if I get shot, I get shot. Uh, but at the same time, like he cared so much about Frank that he didn't want to die because if he died, he didn't think that Frank would be able to take care of himself. I thought he was dead. I did too. And then they I mean, they the script and Frank's dying. I'm like, yep. what's going on here? But that's just one of the things you kind of got to ignore. Just like Joel not really aging, even though he's seen everybody who loves die. Tell you what, I wouldn't want to roll with Joel because he's got a bad rap. He doesn't freaking know where anybody is. Uh uh-uh. uh and he's really boring too. Like he's not he's not a very fun guy. Like these two, like you could talk about art with them, or you know they might make you a nice meal. Um, you might get like a some semblance of a kiss on the cheek, whatever it is. You know, I'm I'm just looking for some kind of a human connection in an apocalypse like this. Um, what all right, I want to actually ask you about Nick Offerman. Did you watch? Parks and Rec or anything like that? What's your experience with him as an actor? I didn't watch Parks and Rec in order, but I was a viewer when it was on TV. Okay, so you're like familiar with like the Ron Swanson prototype of like big, burly, husky man, libertarian, um, just fucking At lives his for... just growling, yeah. yeah. Yep, eggs and waffles, but he has like a heart of gold kind I wanna, of thing. I want to check out his new show. I heard somebody said, dropped and said, oh, was cool. Yeah, Barter is a big fan of Devs. I've been, so been Al- missing. I've been missing Offerman for a while. Yeah, Devs is an Alex Garland show that's on FX and Hulu. Supposedly really good. I need to watch that myself. Um, 
But yeah, what was your what would you say your favorite part about the episode was? Was it the the su- double suicide and that kind of beauty? Was it the moments we had with Joel and Ellie, or was it their initial meeting when they started singing to one another? What kind of stood out to you the most? What was your highlight reel? Joel and Ellie are starting to warm up to me a little. Yep, a hundred percent. Even like her just like sitting in the car and like that's her first time in a fucking car. She's like. Wow, this is like a spaceship. He's like, it's not like a spaceship. It's like a really shitty Chevy. Yeah. And it's just like things like that that are like, oh, shit. She literally was born in the middle of all of this. Never played a video game before. Like, she has no normal life whatsoever. So everything to her is kind of amazing, like, about all of the relics that we take for granted. I think my favorite part of the episode, touch on uh, the Offerman survivalist character again. I think that was the most badass. Like, everybody calls those dudes crazy. And all that, like, it's not that crazy. Like, zombie apocalypse, like, ice age, who knows what could happen. You got to be ready. And he was are ready. A, he fucking kicked some zombie ass. Are you a low-key prepper? I mean, if I had, like... How many, how many cans of bush-baked beans do you own? A doomsday bunker would be pretty badass. It would be kind of cool. Even like if you never had to use it, yeah. Just even like if you just like had it like that, like you want to see my bunker. I mean, it doesn't have to be a bunker; it could just be a man cave, and then like you tend you like just have some bunker materials in there. Hopefully, I think in the preview for the rest of the season, they touched on there's a lot more like raiders and solo survivalists out there, and yeah, definitely be interesting to see how other people are living. Well, I was most curious about, like, the casting with this show. Like, I knew that Bartlett and Offerman were coming. I didn't know how long they were going to be in the show for. And the fact that they're only in it for one episode is kind of devastating because I liked their performances so much. But I think we have more great actors coming. I haven't, I've tried to avoid any spoilers as much as I can, but I think HBO is going to be able to pull some punches here. We're going to get some really more really talented people in the show. Which is kind of nice about us never playing that game is we have right what's gonna happen it's just like a normal show for us but like well, all right this is um this is this has been fun i got, two, I got two notes on this shout out sure. hbo for pulling ratings and having a great show with no hot people in it literally none well pedro pascal is pretty hot but yeah, definitely no hot women if you're looking like, for no brad old, pitts if you're looking for an old bull this is your jam but uh yep and second note thank god there's no old ladies dragging babies around like the walking dead and all that. <laughs> like everybody alive should be alive like there's no yeah. none of that nonsense going around yeah i mean the youngest person that we have is a 13 year old and she's, she's immune. pretty self-sufficient she's immune to the she's the cure i i actually well, before we get out here one last thing she's pretty fucking cocky right now isn't she like when she kills that zombie the first part of the episode i was like uh you're getting dangerously close to this thing, and you seem a little bit too curious about what it looks like when it's sliced open. Like, does yeah, she make you nervous? Do you think that she's gonna fuck everybody over? Is she or gonna is get she actually like, like the savior? more times and just be like cool? Or yeah, what they gotta worry about? I, somebody seeing that bite on her arm and blowing her head off—that's what they're worried about. Yeah, and my other curiosity was: I thought she came pretty close to communicating with that clicker. Um, when he was trapped under in the basement of that like hideout, do you think that there's any chance that she can sort of sort of build a 
barrier between the two of them and like start communicating with them or are they just fucked and they're just going to take over the world? I missed, I missed that. What was she clicking? I, th- I thought I, she didn't do it, but I thought that she was pretty close to when the clicker was in that basement and she sliced his head open. I thought that she was going to like have a conversation with him or something. Talk to the zombie or something. Yeah. Hmm. Is that a reach? I'm, that was just me just being a little bit high. Yeah. Overthinking it. I think you were trying to talk to the zombie or something. <laughs> okay. But well, it, you're my favorite zombie to talk to, so it makes a little bit of sense. Was that a zombie making out with the girl oh. episode? Was that last episode? Yeah, it was the second episode. So there wasn't much Joel and Lil Shoddy this episode. Mostly. No, it was it was bookended. It was that we opened on them and then we closed on them. And it's just kind of like Joel is refusing to grieve. Um, I don't think Ellie's really even aware of the concept of death. Like she doesn't really feel that bad about Tess dying. And the rest of the episode in between is like, oh, well, everybody dies. We might as well live it the fuck up before we do. So I thought it was a beautiful episode. One of my favorite episodes of TV I've seen in the last five or six years. And I'm really excited for the next episode. It's going to be really fucking hard to not just top this episode, but even match it. And if they can then I'm all the way in because it's been a lot of fun. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you for hopping on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back a little bit later this week, and we will see you guys the next time the next episode of The Last of Us comes out, which is going to be this Sunday. No football this Sunday, so lock in on The Last of Us if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I don't think anybody gives a fuck about the Pro Bowl, so it is what it is. We'll have a huge Super Bowl pod next week at some point, and then the Rent Money Boys are coming back, and then the Horny Boys are coming back as well. Um, So we'll see you guys on the other side. Peace out. Silence your cell phones now.